Our series that we're sitting with, and we're going to sit with it all the way through. I honestly, um, I don't know if I would have selected the title if, if I had known, but it is, it, is, it is a reminder that we are to exhale the grace of God and live in that trust. And part of this has to do with sharing Christ. And we're going to sit with this all the way through Easter. In fact, this is a, the beginning of a 10-week journey that's going to carry us through Easter. And we're going to just talk about that and sit with it and then celebrate, again, everything that the Lord is doing and what it means to share his good news, okay? And so something that is very apparent, I think, is that you're going to see here that we're going to kick this off with uh, a, a little examination of a conversation that took place between two friends, a man named Philip and a man named Nathaniel. They become, they become together part of Jesus' first group of disciples, the original disciples. But their coming to Jesus was connected as often, all of our relationships, when it comes to coming to Christ, we're usually connected to other people in some way, shape, or form. So as we get ready to look at this passage, we're just going to jump in. We're going to jump in in John 1. Here's the thing. I really want us to both get some principles, but also to learn something from the Scripture. It's going to connect us back into the Older Testament, so you've got to stay with it. We're going to think well together, learn together, and be open to God together. But in John 1, and again, if you have your Bible, or you can follow along on that handout there, but it says this, that the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew. This is, again, a city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And, and this was a conversation that they had together. Um, they were both spiritual seekers. They were both people who had been living in the expectation of Israel that the Messiah was soon to come, that they believed that God was going to fulfill a promise that had been given to the people of Israel and ultimately to the world. And the, their sense was that it was happening, that it was that there was something unique about the time that they were living in, that the prophets had anticipated in the Moses' writings, and all of these things were about to be fulfilled. And so they were looking, and they were open. And there was a lot of uh, uh, the cultural uh, zeitgeist, the feel of the day was in Israel at the time that something remarkable was about to happen. And we know that these two men, Philip and Nathaniel, were both ready for that moment. They had been talking about it, praying for it. They were part of that whole kind of search and longing. And all of a sudden, we're told that one of the friends, Philip, says, I found him. I want us to imagine this conversation in our mind's eye. Philip comes to Nathaniel, his friend, and he says, you're not going to believe it. I found, I found him, like the one we've been waiting for. I met him. I've talked to him. He's come. He's with us. His name is Jesus. Now, 
before I say what I'm about to say, I need to say this. Nazareth at the time of, of Jesus' day was not considered a great place to live. Uh, it had a bad reputation. In fact, I want to put up, if I can, I want to put up a, a, we'll put up a map here. This is good. Remember, the scripture is written in a context. It's real. These places that we're reading about, they're real places. Um, when we have these, so you can see where Bethsaida is. You can see where Nazareth is. You can go there today. You also see the, the three regions, right? You can see where Jerusalem is in Judea in the south. You see in the middle space there, Samaria, and then the north, the Galilee. Jesus grows up in Nazareth. Nazareth, and you can see the relationship, how close Bethsaida is, which is where Philip and Andrew and Peter were born and raised. That was their hometown. You can see where it is in relation to Nazareth. Now, here's the thing. Nazareth at the time, uh, it, people didn't think highly of Nazareth. We, you know, Jesus grew up there, but you got to remember, it was part of a, a, it was like a town on a hill, but there was a highway that people would travel on their way to Jerusalem and from it. And it also had a Roman outpost of soldiers. And so between the traveling businessmen frequently and the Romans who were there, that the city itself, um, even though it was kind of in a bucolic or very beautiful kind of, if you go there today, you can see the, the hills are green. It's, it, the pastels of the Sea of Galilee is beautiful. But at the same time, Nazareth was located and had a reputation for being not only a small kind of one donkey town, but also, <laughs> but also a place where there was a lot of vice. And I think we forget sometimes Jesus grew up both connected to the beauty of the, of, of the region, but also exposed to the darker side, the underbelly of the human experience. He saw a lot of stuff. Wherever the Romans were and the soldiers were and the travelers were, there was stuff that would be happening. And so when Philip and Nathaniel have this conversation about when Philip says, I found him, and he says, the one we've been waiting for, I found him, I found him, you gotta meet him. What he says though, first he says, his name is, he's Je his name is Jesus from, I know it's gonna, you almost get the impression he's going, I, no, don't react to what I'm about to say. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I know what, I know what you're thinking, and what you're thinking is what exactly what was said, because look at what follows here. Look at what it says here. It says that Nathaniel said, true to form, you gotta be, because the, the, the location was a bit of a letdown for Nathaniel, let's put it that way. He says, are you serious? Come on, Philip. Can't, he knew the reputation. He knew what a small, obscure place it was. Can anything good? Come on, come out of Na Nazareth. That's where the Messiah is, Nazareth. Nazareth of Galilee? Come on. And you know what? Rather than, in, in, again, that was a quite, a, it was a wry response. It was the word of an honest cynic. You know, Philip told him, it's Nazareth. Nathaniel said, that place? Nothing good comes out of that place. You gotta be kidding me. What's gotten into you, Philip? And Philip, rather than engaging him in some type of a theological argument, he says, you know what? I'm not even going to argue with you right now. Here's what. You just come and meet him. You come and see. Look at that. You just come and see. Come on. You got, you could, I, you'll answer your own question. You just need to meet him. And, and again, I look at this and I go, and, and, and there's something, there's a great principle here. 
And here, and here we're just going to lay it out there, is that sometimes, you guys, the, the best, and we'll put it up there, especially for those of us who are kind of taking our notes and engaging this, but sometimes the best argument, right, is simply an invite. It's just the invite. It's just, it's, you know, and I, I look at this and I go, you know, church, church should be a safe place to introduce people to Christ, especially when someone is searching or hurting or in, time of, in need of a healing or just period. At a point in their life, we're in transition. Uh, just the invitation of a friend is such a huge thing. Like sometimes the best thing is not to try to argue someone into being open to God. It's just to invite someone to check something out. And one of the things we know, and we'll put this up as well, is that a number, the number one way a person, other than being when they're raised around it, the number one way someone comes to Jesus is because of an invitation of a friend or a family member. That's just the, the, we know this, that the number one way that people come and are connected and ultimately find a life in Christ, that's probably happened with many of us. We're very connected. A lot of us are connected to the invitation of someone else. Someone cared enough to talk to us, to invite us, a, a person we love. The key there being trust, because it's out of a trust base that oftentimes people will, are willing to come at least check Jesus out. Not necessarily because I believe this, um, but because I care about you, or I like you, and I trust you. And so if you're inviting me, I'll come. And I, realize, and I think every now and then we need to remember how sometimes it is an awkward experience for some people to come to church. And if you've ever had any background, it's like, oh, what are these people doing, you know? Kind of uh, just talking about Jesus and the Bible, and we may not know a lot about it, or seeing people sing to God and, and talk about I mean, we forget sometimes that that was us, and maybe sometimes we didn't even feel like that, that comfortable. We didn't know. It's kind of, sometimes it can be scary. But it's really important that when we, if, if it's possible to have someone come, most people like to come with someone they know. And so, you know what? I look at what's going on here, and I go, that's exactly what was happening with Philip and Nathaniel. Philip says, look, I, I just want you to meet him. Can you do that? That's all. And so he says, sure. Why not? I'll go with you. And so they walk, and they're making their way. And again, you see it in our mind's eye here. They're making their way to Jesus. And as they're making their way, before there's even an introduction, like before Philip says, you know, uh, Nathaniel, I would, I would like you to meet Jesus here. Jesus, this is a friend of mine. Before that even happens, it says that as they're walking towards Jesus, Jesus turns and he points to, essentially, he points, he, he sees Nathaniel coming, and look at that 47th verse. He says, look at that man, behold. He says, an Israelite, an, a true Israelite, an Israelite in whom there's a, there's a guy in whom there is no deceit. Right there. So before, before Nathaniel even meets Jesus, Jesus stops and points him out and says, there you see right there this man coming here. Here, here is a, you are a true Israelite. A man in whom there is no deceit. It's like, and so before Nathaniel even says a word, Jesus reads him, describes him like a book in 60 seconds, right? And it was, it was Jesus' assessment of the prevailing core of this man that Nathaniel was a person who was without deceit, that, that he, was, he was a person who was essentially honest, that there was a lack of... Um, of, of pretense about him, that, that, that he was not a, a duplicious person, that his, 
his essential characteristic of person, the way he came across was that he, you, who you, basically who you saw was who he was. He wasn't trying to play any games or get people to, to perceive him to be something. He was just, this is who I am. A very honest, authentic person uh, who probably at some times may have, you know, been not you know, the guy you wanted to bring somewhere because you might not, he might not necessarily say things in a delicate way. He might just lay it out there just like he did with, with his friend. Come on. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. You got to be serious. Messiah, that's the, man, the kind of mentality he had. But when Jesus sees him, he says, look, there is a, he's, everyone behold. We would say, look at that man. There you see it. A man without, without guile. A true Israelite right there. Now, when Jesus makes that statement, again, Israelite, remember, okay, some of us know this. If you go back to the book of Genesis, Israel was the name that was given by God to Jacob. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Abraham, God had called out, made a promise that out of you will come a people, and out of your people will come a Messiah, Savior of the world. And, and that promise will, will go, and he had no children at the time when that promise was given to him, but from Abraham, it went to Isaac, and from Isaac, it went to Jacob. And Jacob was the one who had his name at a particular point in his life changed to Israel. Remember, it was the name that was given to Jacob, Israel, when he had this wrestling match with this man who seems to be more than a man. Someone described it as like an angel of the Lord. And in his, you can read about it in Genesis 32. In his magnificent defeat, he he becomes a new man, kind of ruled by God, like a change occurs in his life. In fact, I'll just, I mean, we're just, I'm going to do this. We'll scroll it through just for us to look at it together. And we'll put this up. It says, this is the account of when Jacob's name was changed to Israel. It says that after taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. And so we're going back in time here. Then this left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. And then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob is my name. Your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him, from now on you will be called there it is for the first time in scripture, Israel, because you have fought with God and, and, and with men and you've won, you've prevailed. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. What is your name? Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. And Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. And the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel. And he was limping because of the injury to his hip. That was a limp, by the way, that he would have for the rest of his life. That that displacement of his hip became a marking point. So he was given two things out of that wrestling match that God allowed him to win. He was given a physical reminder of the touch of God in his life. And also his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. From Jacob means one who supplants and it implies manipulation. 
to Israel, one who prevails with God. The name change was significant. All his life, Jacob had been, as his family kind of was, a deceiver, a manipulator. The family was highly dysfunctional. Even the blessing that Jacob had gotten, if you do the study there, you'll find out that he had gotten it by tricking. He and his mother tricked Jacob's father to giving the blessing to him instead of his brother Esau. And it set off a chain of anger that ultimately meant Jacob had to run for his life because Esau wanted to kill him. And, and it, so much of Jacob's life, if you follow along, was characterized by deception and manipulation. <laughs> but when he got changed, he, he was, he was a remi- it was a reminder, just like sometimes God, out of the wrestling places in our lives, God will allow something to happen that will be forever a reminder of his touch of grace in our lives. And we walk with it a different person than we were. Always a reminder, like, almost like a reminder of the grace of God and the shift in our life, right? What's fascinating, though, is when you look at this, the example of what Jesus says, right? Think about it this way. Now go back to what Jesus said to Nathaniel when he first sees him and see if you don't see what's going on. Interplay the history of what that meant with what Jesus says. It's way more nuanced than it seems. Jesus says, before Nathaniel says a word, behold, there is a, you, my friend, are a true Israelite in whom I know this of you. There is no guile. There, there is no deceit in you. You're not honest seeker. It's almost like Jesus is saying, behold, here is a man in whom there is no deceit. Behold, here is a true Israelite, one ruled by God. Think about it this way, in whom there is no Jacob. There is a true Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. It's a fascinating twist that Jesus uses in that moment. And it floors, it floors him. It hits him hard. The words pierce Nathaniel. And before he, and it's like before he ever even utters a word back to Jesus, It's like Jesus captures him. Like, you got me. How do you know me? It's a fascinating moment. And hear me out. I'll just lay this out before us. But there are going to be times when the words of Jesus will pierce our heart, you guys. And they will capture us. And there's no other way to describe it. It's like the word of the Lord hits us square and goes into places. And it affects us. His words captured my life when I was but a boy, a youth, a youth. Maybe his words have captured you in a way, but I'll say this as I was thinking about it. Lord, I said, you know, I suppose if, if you have your way, I would, love, I would love this. If your words would be on my lips until the day I die. And if by grace it is possible, if your words would be on my lips on the day I die. The other thing I see here is that Jesus, I don't know if you noticed it, it's a nuance, but Jesus can handle our cynical side, our rough edges. I love the fact that one of the key disciples of Jesus is a man like Nathaniel. Maybe some of us can relate. I mean, he was not the the classic, he seemed to have an edge to him in his first inclination was to doubt the veracity of something or at least to question it 
He wasn't one to get the wool pulled over his eyes. He might have said things out of turn. He, again, was a little bit of, he's revealed as someone who's a little bit on the rough side when it comes to just speaking his mind. And, and again, the kingdom of Jesus is full of unlikely candidates. Some of them are us. And how, yeah, how good is that, you know? Um, we are here probably because somebody decided to pray for us, pursue us for Christ. Who are those people in your life? Who are the people? I have met, you know, if you look at a life in Christ, like someone who comes to the Lord, it's never just a result of our own decision. There's, there's, People have prayed for us, people who didn't know us, people who did know us, people of previous generations, praying in advance for, for people, children sometimes, grandmothers and grandmothers. Pray. People who prayed for someone who ultimately was affected um, and they gave their life and then they talked to someone who ended up affecting our lives for Jesus. I mean, if you look at the intricacy, if you could take all of our stories just in this little space of ours and look at the strings that are connected, you would see this maze of connectivity of different people who've had different impacts to become, and we become part of the story of the Lord together. Like we're all connected in some way, like in ways that we'll never know or understand. Prayers offered up, conversations that happened, people who came across our path who had years before, generations before, were products of interactions that occurred. The way we come to the Lord it can never be captured only by our, what we can see or even understand. But sometimes we do have a good sense of who was the one who brought us. And I look at that and I go, wow. Okay, watch what happens next. Verse 48 it says, Nathaniel said to him, said to him, how do you, okay, that initial connection that Jesus says, you're an Israelite in whom there is no guy. There's no deceit in you. You're a true seeker. I know you. And Nathaniel says to him, look at verse 48. How do you know me? How do you know me? How do you know? And Jesus answered him, listen, before Philip called you, before Philip even talked to you, I already saw you under the fig tree. Now, I think, Philip, I think what was happening there, I mean, people have discussed this. Did Jesus walk by and see him in the distance? Or was this more of Jesus saying, I was already aware of you seeking? And a lot of people think that he was under the midday sun, perhaps under the fig tree as as. Nathaniel is going over things that have meaning in his life, the long prayers, the long thoughts, thinking about his life, praying about Messiah, thinking about the scriptures. It's like Jesus is saying, I already saw you. I know you're a seeker. I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And that's something that he goes, almost like Nathaniel goes, only God could know that. Only God could know that. Rabbi, Look at his reaction. Rabbi, I believe you are the son of God. I, I believe you are, look at the phrase, look, you are the king of Israel, the promised one. I, that is who I believe you are. <laughs> Think about this. Philip never said, it's almost like he turns and says, Philip, this is him. You're right. Right? There's this moment. And I can see Philip going, I told you, I told you, Right? It's, it's like it's faith ignited by Jesus knowing. Rabbi, I, you are the one. And Jesus says, look at what Jesus says next. He says, you know what? Just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree when you were seeking the things of God, you say you believe? Oh, 
I tell you, you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything yet. Look at this. Because I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? I tell you this, Jesus says, in this moment, watch what's happening. You, you will see greater things than these. Ah, greater things. And then what follows is another reference to Jacob indirectly. And again, we wouldn't necessarily know it, but if you read in Genesis 28, there was this moment where Jacob is on the run and he comes to this place called Bethel. And in this place called Bethel, the house of God, he has this dream. And in this dream, he sees angels going up and down a ladder. Hence, over time, it's been called Jacob's Ladder. And as he's seeing this angels going, coming, and descending, that it, he remembered, and he wakes up and Jacob says to himself, you can read about it, he says, oh, he goes, I perceive that God is in this place and I did not know it. And so, and so look what happens. Look what Jesus says to Nathaniel. Look at it. Verse 51. Jesus says, you're going to see way more than you thought. And then Jesus draws back into, I think, the passage that he was probably already reading and thinking about. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, listen, you haven't seen anything yet. You are going to see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Nathaniel, I am telling you right now, the God that you've been reading about is in your midst right before you. Heaven is touching earth in this place right now in me. And it's an intense, beautiful, powerful moment. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, the purpose of that dream is being fulfilled before your eyes. Heaven is touching earth in this moment, and you are beholding it. You true Israelite. It was powerful. And you know what's a reminder of? And I love this. It all started how? Because a friend took a chance and invited a friend to see Jesus. We have this exchange because of that. Here's the thing, friends, what do friends do? Friends point friends to see Jesus and share the joy. And by the way, I threw that, that bottom piece in, is very important because it's really hard to share anything about Jesus if it's done in a way that lacks joy. Uh, <laughs> come check out. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, you know, I, you know, every now and then I go to this church. And, and maybe one day you might want to come on. The joy, the joy is different than happiness. Happiness depends on what happens. We all have ups and downs. Not one of us here. I know this to be true. Early on, I didn't understand this, but I've come to understand it. Every one of us here has some problem we're wrestling through. Some complexity of life some pressure point could be real. It's the truth. Sometimes our happiness is affected by what's happening. But the joy of God can be resident in our lives. And sometimes, I know this sounds incredible, it actually shows up more profoundly in the hurting and hardest places. It just shows up like a gift. And I've never seen anyone come to the Lord because someone unenthusiastically invited them. It's like, do you believe what you believe? I'm going to make one statement, and I think it could, I don't mean it to be this way, but I think it could be, it could be misunderstood. 
but I'm going to say it. I'm going to have this. We're going to see it together anyway. Here it is. Hear me out. If Jesus isn't worth sharing, then he's not worth following. Put another way, a little better way. If he's not worth following, then he's, well, how about this? If he's worth following, he's worth sharing. And then the last one, even better, <laughs> share, sh share him because we've, if we follow him, we're going to share him, right? If we really want to follow him, then we're going to share him. And he's worth sharing because he's worth following. And we get to be part of that story. But I don't know, there's something about that initial statement that caught me. Because it sort of connects, like, I may say I love the Lord, and I may say I want to follow him, and I'm going to say I want to give my life to him, and I want to say that Jesus means something to me. But if I never talk about him, if I never invite, look, we are entering into an Easter season. Uh, this is, we are, we've written a musical just to be able to invite people. We've got concerts. We have things that we're trying to do. We've created rise and shine. There's ways of sharing. We, we're doing everything we can to assist everyone. in be, Tie rope, even at night. I mean, we're trying to find ways so that people can share. Like Philip did with, think about it, with his friend Nathaniel. Hey, come check it out. I mean, in some ways, that's a step of, step of I, it's what God wants us to be able to do for him. You know, so water reap. The sower goes out. Scatters the seed. Yeah, I was thinking about this yesterday because it was on my mind. I was going, Lord, I, want, I, I believe in you, so I want to talk about you. If you're worth following, you're worth sharing. If you're worth following, you're worth sharing. I want to share you. I want to share your life. I had a person come to my door yesterday and this is kind of doesn't happen as much anymore, but they wanted to sell me something. And they ended up having a conversation. This was a young man. And I, I was in the conversation, and he was asking, he was asking for money for a, to invest into him, really. It was to buy something, but it was more of an investment to him. And I was listening, and I felt like the Lord said to me, you know what, and this is not my norm. I'm telling you, I don't normally do this, but I was thinking about this, and it just was on my mind. I felt like the Lord said to me, what's more important than buying something? And I ended up doing that. I said, but it was to validate him as a person. And I did something that was, I don't usually do. I, I said, can you tell me your story? I'd like to know more about you. And then I did something that is so out of character for me. I said, you don't want to come into the house? And I said, you know... Tell me a little bit about yourself. I said, now here's some, did, did you get, I said this, did anybody train you on how to sell anything? And he goes, ah, kind, you know, I kind of got a little bit of a, I said, okay, let me start with this. <laughs> I said, when you meet somebody, I said, honestly, one of the best things you can do is smile. Let's start with that. Hi. I said, and then we started talking. And you know what I felt like? By the time I was done, and I'm telling you this because of just being honest. Uh, I felt like the Lord said, you know, you pray for him. So I bought something, a, a modest. <laughs> and then I said, and this was his name, I said, Jonathan, I feel like when you go back home, you're supposed to find a church. I think you need some people in your life who you can look to as some models. Because you have any churches you know. He goes, well, there's a couple. I said, go. 
I said, but also let me pray. Can I pray with you? I just want to pray a blessing over your life. He says, okay. And so I just prayed blessing over his life in, in the name of Jesus. And you know what? He walked away, and I walked away back down the hall. I said goodbye, gave him a hug. I don't know, probably never see him again. But I, got, I walked away, and I felt like the Lord said, you were part of the story of faith. You got the blessing of sharing me and blessing. I thought, wow, Lord. And I started getting a little teary-eyed because I felt like I got to be part of doing something for Jesus. And it may be, in our case, it may be something as simple as, hey, I want to invite you to come to Easter. Or, hey, I want you to come. To, I would like to invite you to come to church. Or, hey, I want you to check this out. It might just be what Philip did with Nathaniel. And that's how it works. And that's how lives are changed. And we can be part of the story and never underestimate the power of a seed that's given in Jesus' name. Ah, come on. We can do that together. It's the best thing. You know what I'm saying? It's good. All right, hey, we're going to close. We have our time of giving, and I know a lot of us are giving in different ways these days, and many of us are giving on the app and stuff. We'll still have a quick time of giving. And the closing song. The closing song is a word. It reminds us of God's goodness. And here's the thing, you guys. It's meant to be a reminder that we're to give that goodness away. Let me pray over this time. So, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we get to be part of your story. And I ask that you would keep working in our lives and that you would do good among us and through us. Help us to be open to sharing you with others because I believe you are worth, worth, you're worth following and therefore you are worth sharing. And help us to do that courageously in these anxious times to be life givers and inviters. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.